Brr, it's freezing out here. Oh, I hope Laura's in. She'd better be. We've had this plan for ages. All this snow around it, it looks a bit like the atmosphere. Get it? Ugh, it's not one of your best. Evening, guys. Hey! Come on in. We've got the fire going and everything. Marvellous. I brought the tea bags like you asked. Lovely. Thanks. Go straight on through. The kettle's already on. So, what you got planned for us tonight? Any exciting post-meal entertainment? Of course. Thought we could watch some Who. Brilliant. Never would have thought of that. Did you hear that, Chris? Hear what? That's a no, then. Loz says we're watching some Who after dinner. We're catching some what? Who? We're catching some blue. What are you on about? I don't watch those sort of films. And how would we review it, anyway? No! Doctor Who! Oh, hooray! Which one? That's a good point, Loz. Which one are you thinking of watching? Girl in the Fireplace? Nope. Ah, shame. I love that one. Blink? No, I won't watch that unless it's very, very bright outside. What are you guys talking about? I'm trying to guess which story we're watching. Rose? No, we watched that last time, remember? Oh, yeah. Why don't we watch Waters of Mars? Is it just me, or did the fire just go out? Uh, Never mind. Which doctor? Ah, good plan. That'll narrow down the field. Baldy McShiny Head. Nah, the ninth. Dalek. I love that one. Nope, you're not going to get it. Tell us then. End our misery, cruel mistress of fate. Oh, all right. We're going to watch Boomtown. Did I hear you say Boomtown? I don't remember that one much. Is that the one where a Slitheen turns up again months after being blown up inside number 10 Downing Street? That's it. The one where they stopped pretending Cardiff was London and actually called it Cardiff, even though they'd been there a couple of weeks before. Yep, that's the one. The one where Rose and Mickey have a domestic and we're all supposed to cry. Yeah, that's it. Are you sure we just can't build a snowman? Hello and welcome to the Ood Attic for Series 3, Episode 6 of the Oodcast. I'm Andy. And opposite me, but slightly diagonally to the right with her back to me, is the wonderful, splendid and excellent Laura. Oh, shucks. And also opposite me, actually directly opposite me, is the fantastic, witty and erudite Chris Alpha. (laughs) Uh, Hello. I I think you're describing somebody else, but thank you anyway. Hello, everyone. I'm describing you. And not with us for the second time running, I'm afraid, is... The splendid, brilliant Chris Sigma. He's away. It's no good. It's no good. But But he did see pigs and quails the other day whilst outside a monastery in Cambodia. So that's good. This pig was very sweet. He took a picture of it hiding in a clump of bamboo. Anyway. Was it wearing a spacesuit? Uh, it might well have been. Oh, link. Link, 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 link. Because this week, dear listeners, we're going to look at another episode of Series 1. Can you guess what it is yet? No, that 
It's the Can one with the Australian painter. Yes, that one. <laughs> the one with a kangaroo with the face of a man. <laughs> Scariest doodle ever. <laughs> well, if you're thinking it's going to be Aliens of London and World War Three, you're wrong. It's going to be... Hang on a second. Before we announce which episode it is, I think we should just clarify... Rolf Harris kept on drawing pictures of himself as a kangaroo. The yeah. kangaroo that he drew always had a pouch. Rolf Harris thinks of himself <laughs> as a female kangaroo. Ooh. That is freaky. And the episode is Boomtown. Yeah, I know there's not really a connection between female kangaroos and Boomtown, but that doesn't matter because we're going there anyway. Yes, but before we get there, let's let, let's go quickly to the Ucast News. <laughs> News. And this week on the Oudcast News. London Mayor Boris Johnson has responded to accusations of extreme flatulence during London Assembly meetings. That's an inverted pyramid of piffle. BBC bosses are up in arms today as leaked confidential cables reveal this year's Christmas special will be about Christmas. A man was questioned by MI7 operatives for three days last week on suspicion of being a hostile extraterrestrial, but it turned out he'd just been separated from the rest of his stag party. All the burping, talking gibberish and weaving from side to side while a big clue also seemed to be a natural state. Oh, and it turns out Slitheen are fictional. The casting of the Doctor Who episode Boomtown, set entirely in Cardiff, but with 80% of the speaking roles being actors of English origin, has drawn criticism from Plythe Cymru. A spokesperson said, Guy Govin Pam Vorba BBC Ganol Boincher Ginger Mainta Chlandain Dalla Hraglen i Gered Wedi Bord Troia Kavrange Gamraig. News. So then, folks, Boomtown, what do we think? I really liked it, having seen it for the first time. I'm sure that the others of you will think slightly differently on a second watching, but I thought there were some moments of scriptural genius in that, particularly the whole the Doctor as the executioner thing. Mm. You quite often get him, get him being merciful and get him giving people last chances and options and final ways out, and he's always very, very tolerant. But this is an incident where he really doesn't have any of those features at all. And that was quite surprising to watch just after he'd been so easygoing, effectively, with the Nestine consciousness. I think it's a really, really different episode. It's it's the first episode where you kind of like go, Oh, Russell T. Davis, what you doing? Mm. As Laura says, it's an unusual situation for the Doctor to be in, and it's a, an area that the series itself doesn't really go. I mean, you wouldn't normally expect Doctor Who to be talking about execution. or You say that, though, but this comes after Dalek, which yeah. is the same dilemma, and he gets more angry, if anything. What's the same dilemma? Do, uh, does he kill the yeah, last... Does he kill or does he give it a second chance? yeah. But then there's a lot more of a backstory with the Daleks. You don't expect him to say, oh, well, you know, 
there's only one of you. You're not doing any harm down here, so I'll let you go. You and don't expect doctor, to do that to a Dalek. And the Dalek can't really appeal to his emotions anyway because the Dalek doesn't understand the concept of emotion, at least not at first. No. Yeah. Um, whereas at this point he's dealing with a creature who's excessively emotionally manipulative and fully prepared to hit all of the usual buttons that would make him go, yes, okay, I'll take you back to some barren world somewhere and give you some kind of terraforming kit and off you go. Hey, that just reminded me of Firefly. Oh. Mm. Oh. He's not really an executioner though, is he? Because his choice, he, he's saying that he wants to take it back to a home planet. He doesn't care. He wants to take her back. And then she points out that her whole family has been given a death sentence. And if he, it's almost as if he stubbornly refuses to change his mind rather than he's determined to let her die. No, I see it differently. I, I think the thing is he could take her anywhere. But his point is, if he does that, he's going to let her loose on the universe, you know, because she has this strange skateboard surfboard thingy that she <laughs> yeah. can surf away from Cardiff on. <laughs> She's a, a a pretty determined, nasty piece of work, and he is determined not to set her free amongst the universe. But then, oh, well, we shouldn't really go into this bit right now because it's the ending. But but it's it, yeah, in the end, it's not him that gives her the second chance; is it? it's the TARDIS. Mm. So, and Ooh, again, the Doctor's better half. <laughs> the Doctor's better half. I think the ending kind of shows that the series struggles with those sort of issues, those really hard-hitting issues of what you do with someone who apparently cannot be reformed. Is that the right word? Reformed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I I just sort of feel that the the concept of the series itself can't quite cope with an issue of that seriousness. I I think the problem, the, the reason it struggles in this is because it's diluted by the whole Rose and Mickey bit. Yeah. I'm not going to go into a, ra- into a rant about this. But oh, this no, is why of, not? Go for it. Oh, no, no because it, it gets worse in Series 2. I'll save it. Um, are, you, are you saying that Doctor Who doing domestic doesn't appeal to you? No, no. It doesn't, doing it doesn't. Doing domestic badly. Yeah, it, it is pretty bad in this. And it's it sort of... I, I don't really... They turn they're dealing with the one situation with the Slithy. one character, don't mm. they? Yeah. And it's really, really poor characterisation on his part. The whole situation is totally artificial. If you know that you're going to go to Cardiff and tell your long-term partner that you're seeing someone else because they've effectively left you with absolutely no forwarding address, you don't then suggest that you go and bonk them in a hotel for the night. It's completely weird. Especially for a Russell T Davies script, you expect the characterisation of that stuff to be spot on and it's sort of missing. But then... It it really pulls away from the more the much more interesting situation with the Slitheen. How is he going to handle this? What is he going to do? And the bit where she persuades him to take him to a restaurant. That scene is very good. It's really good the way she's constantly trying to... You can see her, the way she works in the one conversation where she's trying to kind of pull at his different kind of heartstrings almost to see which one will, mm. will go. And if any part of that had been truthful, because she talks about how she was abused as a child and that's mm. turned her into what she is now, for, for a rational person, they think, OK, that does give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. If you've been subjected to extreme cruelty and never known anything except that, then you can completely understand why she is the way she is, and yet that yeah. doesn't actually give her any cachet at all with the Doctor, which was unexpected. Mm. And it doesn't help in terms of the story that they keep cutting away to a, to a, a young man on a, on the seafront going, you left me! 
It just... Uh. It's Russell T. Davis trying to play with the series' format and the, the series' limits, isn't it? it, it mm. He's trying to do everything. Stephen Moffat once described um, the Stolen Earth and Journey's End as being Russell T. Davis pressing all the buttons at once and seeing mm. what happens, which yeah. is quite a nice description. And I think that Russell T. Davis has this tendency to go, we can do anything with this show. We can explore pretty much anything we want. And it's his attempt, I think it's his first really big attempt to say, this show can be about relationships on a human level. It can be about... Um, criminality and how you deal with criminals and is execution appropriate or is trying to reform them appropriate and it's also about the the power of the tardis itself mm-hmm. uh, which goes back to the edge of destruction right in the very very beginning of the first series ever of doctor who laura wants to say something profound by the looks of it yes yeah. actually i just wanted to take a quick straw poll because i think that what you just said reminded me again of why the show is so quintessentially British. Here we are talking about how the Doctor is particularly... It's a particular dilemma um, because he's having to act as the executioner. He's having to to transport somebody to a state-sanctioned death. Now, in the UK, that's absolutely unthinkable. We would never, ever do that to somebody who'd even committed the worst crime. We don't have the death penalty anymore. For lots of our listeners around the world... That sort of thing does happen. You know, you've got sort of 30 to 40 people being executed by the state in America every year. You've got some of the Islamic states. But in the UK, that's an absolute... That leaves many people aghast, particularly the kind of people who I think are Doctor Who fans. So I'd be really, really interested to hear what our listeners think about that, um, but also what the other Oods think. Mm. What, on the, the issue of execution? Yeah. Um I think the main theme in the the episode is not so much whether execution is is acceptable or not, but whether the doctor's actions are acceptable. You know, he he's saying, "Look, I have no choice because you are so bad. Um I can't let you roam free. You, and the only thing I can do is take you back to your planet." But he's got a spaceship that's mm. the size of that's absolutely um vast he could if he wanted to just lock her in a cell somewhere in the tardis and feed her and look after her until she dies mm, exactly and he does suggest doing that with the master in uh, the end of series three but, but then there's a there's a that huge connection with the master isn't it it's sort of almost they're mm. they're sort of almost the they're flip almost side like of both coins way, aren't they, aren't they? It, the flip side of one coin yeah um I don't know. I'm not. He he argues with it all the, the whole time, doesn't he? Because when she says, um, "Well, you'll be taking me to my death," he said, "Well, you could have. You never bothered to save your family, so why should I save you?" Um, mm. It's odd that he never says that he agrees or disagrees with what's going to happen to her. No, he, he just he, says it's not my problem. Yes, which I think is is the ninth Doctor um, as we first meet him in a way um, coming through. It, it's that battle-scarred Doctor who is in some way not quite the Doctor that mm. we remember from the classic series. And, and in a way, actually, it's, it's him kind of doing something slightly unusual for the Doctor. He's sticking to the laws of time. I He's know. sort of, this is, go, this is going to happen. 
I'm not going to interfere in this. I'm just going to put things back the way they mm. should be and just let it happen. And mm. of course it's his problem. You know, this is a doctor who will meddle in absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. Suddenly deciding that at this point where the death of an individual is at stake, he's just going to back off and leave it. And I don't think that's especially realistic. We know the doctor gets involved. We know the doctor is at heart a pro-life type of chap. And I don't mean that in the sort of the earth-centred debate of things. I've got no nothing to say on that. We've already got too much controversy going on. Um, <laughs> but the other thing is, and he's right, you know, this is very much a retreat to the brusque, uncaring type of doctor that we encountered yeah. at the start. But this is right at the end of his tenure. How come he's still like this? It's ridiculous. I think we, we, are, we are struggling with the central concept of the story i thought that even though i didn't agree with the direction of the Mm. debate Mm. i still really enjoyed them skirting around the issue and occasionally touching it and jumping away like some sort of frightened cat the dilemma i like i like the way it's it's dealt with in a way but i don't i'm kind of i'm not sure i like the doctor's kind of character and the way he um he reacts to it I mean, and it's slightly different in the next episode. I don't know whether we're going to move on sequentially. Woohoo, long word. Um, probably not, knowing us. The next episode is Bad Wolf, which is the beginning of the, the two-part finale for him. And he sort of is the same, but starts to realise, OK, these people I need to care about and need to look after. So I don't know whether it's him starting to thaw or whether mm. it's... I always wanted to see Christopher Eccleston do another series, I've got to be honest. Mm. Uh I'm not saying I didn't want David Tennant at all because he was superb, but I would like to have seen another Eccleston series because he had changed so much over series one. It would have been interesting to see where it would have gone. There is that really wonderful... The the story before this is the... well, um, Empty Child, isn't it? The Empty Child, yeah. yeah. The the end of that, by the end of that story, I think, you just see this massive massive joy for the the human life and have come through by that stage um i absolutely loved him Mm. so this was a weird thing sort of the the kind of the order of the episodes gets you to sort of absolutely fall in love with the character and then really not be sure in this one yeah that's right and i guess that's russell t davis's design as a writer, he tends to look at the character much yeah. more than, uh, and I, I than think many that, other writers. And... I think what I'm saying then is that as a character study, mm. the story arc of series one is top notch, basically, mm. I think. Mm. He's really saying that people can be unpredictable and be surprising. And here the, the Doctor is confronted with his responsibility within the universe, whether it's, I don't know whether you'd argue it's an assumed responsibility on his part or whether it is the responsibility of a Time Lord, but his actions have consequences. And I think yeah. I think within the confines of the, the format of Doctor Who, it's a really uneasy argument that's going on, a really uneasy situation yes. that's going on. Uh, and I think that it, it, it kind of doesn't quite work for me. Do you know what else doesn't work in the episode? What? This whole central conceit that you can build a nuclear power station in the heart of Cardiff <laughs> by demolishing the oh, castle. By demolishing the castle. How, you know, you can't even put a wind farm on a slag heap. I know. How the heck would that ever get through and, planning permission? And Not a hope. And everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. Nobody, like, just oh, casually, oh, demolish Cardiff Castle. No way. 
Hey, shut up. That's so not British. Okay, so we're all agreed then. Bins are to be collected on every full moon, except when that falls between Monday and Friday. Can we have a show of hands to approve this? Thank you. Next on the agenda is the Blythe Droog power station planning application. Preposterous. We don't need a power station there. You'd like to start then, Councillor Hearn? Thought you'd never ask. Cardiff Castle is a landmark. It's 900 years old and built on a Roman military site. It would be a tragedy to knock it down. Criminal, even. I see. You've seen the detailed plans, I take it? Uh, Well, not personally, but... I have. Have you? Yes, not that you made it easy. They were on public display. Well, yes, I suppose they were, but it's just not that many people must think of looking in the boot of a 1978 Datsun Cherry. Well, we did label it clearly. Oh, yes, you did. Once I saw it, it was one of the best labelled blueprints I've ever seen. See? It it was just spoilt a bit by the riddle I have to answer before I was allowed to open the boot lid. The design is flawed. I saw the pictures he took. There's a fault in the internal workings. It'll blow up as soon as it gets to full capacity. Oh? Perhaps you could tell me which bit is badly designed. I can let the architects know and get it fixed. I couldn't see it clearly. The photos he took were rather blurry. Look, I told you. It was windy. I couldn't hold the camera steady. Well, in that case, you have nothing to back up what you're saying, and I think we can put this to a vote, can't we? It'll never pass. Too much wrong with it. We love our heritage. That castle is one of our most beautiful buildings. Tom Jones has played there and everything. And Green Day, it's a centre of Welsh musical excellence. And we already have power stations. We don't need any more. Well, gentlemen, I think you've had your say. Let's put it to the vote. All those in favour, raise your hand. And all those against, thank you. That's 27 votes to two, so I think the planning application is passed by majority. Anything to say, gentlemen? Yes. When did we get so many pigs in spacesuits on the planning committee? Now I've complained about the Rose and Mickey thing, there is one thing that comes from that that I think actually works. And it's right at the end. Uh-huh. When she lets Mickey... Well, she, she goes to look for Mickey and can't find him and comes back again. The doctor offers to wait so she can go and find him. And he says, no. And she says, no, no, it's all right. He's gone. That, I think, works. Because that, I think, is seeing the effect of of the TARDIS and the, the effect of the doctor on her on life. Her. It's not the Mickey wailing and gnashing his teeth in front of a sea that that is the point of that bit. You know, which is hideous and doesn't really appeal to me at all. Um, it's the fact that she realises that this is what all of this travelling means. This is the effect it has on people around her. That's the part of the episode, uh, the part of his kind of Russell T Davies's uh, kind of dealing with human life in relation to the Doctor mm. that actually does work. There are the odd moments, and this is one of them, where it does become incredibly effective. Yeah, I like that too. What did we think of the humour element of the episode? Parts of it were quite light-hearted. The bit with the, the I secretary. Thought parts fella. of it were incredibly clumsy and boring, like Mickey getting his foot stuck, stuck in a in bucket. bucket. Yeah. Yes. That was just so cod. I was bleh. 
but her running away and then running back again. Yes, that, that was, was that was funny. Also, the secretary tackling the doctor, trying to stop her jumping out. The window, that was really funny. That, that secretary fella is played as a bit wet, right? It's yeah. a wonderfully comic performance and brilliantly played. But how does he restrain the doctor for so long? I, I know. know it's a good line to start that thing with when he he comes out and says, um, "She's." Uh, she, she's busy. She'd like you to make an appointment for next week. She's climbing, climbing out, out the window. window isn't she? <laughs> yes. yes, she. That's is. a good line. So uh, the the scene in the restaurant as well, where yeah. she said, did did you know that in times of desperation, Slitheen women can make a poison dart out of her finger? And he kind of catches it and says yes. And then he sprays the the uh, the breath freshener into her mouth. I, when she I tries find to that a, like I Laura. That I find those bits a bit laboured. I don't know if you find those bits laboured, Laura, but I find them a bit sort of like, we're being funny here, we're being funny here. Oh, I was just quite excited by the concept of being able to manufacture a poison dart. <laughs> Did you know there are snails that do that? What, poison darts? Yeah, they manufacture poison darts. Only gangland snails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, no, I, I quite liked that scene. I suppose the problem with that is that I knew it was coming up. So I knew she'd be doing all those little silly things. I was waiting for the next one and the next one, though. But I didn't mind that too much. It was mm. just the foot in bucket thing that I was just, oh, <laughs> shut up. It was just an excuse to kind of just, oh, Mickey the idiot again. But then they, they, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Because when Mickey first walks into the TARDIS, he calls him Big Ears. You know, that's I like quite that nice, scene but... in the TARDIS with the TARDIS team all being very sort of smug and the loving themselves. So it's the TARDIS team, isn't it, by, in that scene? And I like uh, the Ninth Doctor's little um, light gadget oh, yeah. thing. That's what? Struck I was going to mention this. What does that do? Because well, it can't shine light. On the DVD commentary, they say it is a gadget you can buy in shops for strapping onto your forehead when you're working on something in the dark or, you know, in a, in, in a, a confined space that is a bit dark. It is a genuine thing you can buy, but why it flashes, I don't know. That's yeah, that's why yeah, it, it does look like a bike light. Mm. It is a bike light. Apparently, they put a red um, gel over it uh, oh, to well, make it red. I have to say that made all the difference <laughs> to me. Maybe I... it's Time Lord thing. Maybe maybe Time Lord <laughs> eyes work in a way that are of different revolution. The way that light comes into them and the are we light saying waves that the Doctor and... sees everything in strobe? Yeah, red strobe, not just any. Mm. Does he think that everybody is doing the robot all the time? Maybe he's colourblind. Or we're in a silent film. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Doctor does Buster Keaton. That is something I would totally love to see. And it, in fact, actually, it is something that we got quite close to, what with the mop bucket. All we needed was for the front wall of that building to fall down and him standing in a window. Yeah. We'll <sighs> see that in the next series. Come on, Stephen. Anyway, Margaret Slidine, what do we think about the character? I very much liked that character and i very much liked the performance of was it annette annette badland, annette badland. what do we think of the ending though margaret slavine all the way through is begging for her life and she's saying oh no let me go let me go i'll be well, good that's I'll true be good. and then you know the doctor all the way through is saying no you won't no you won't um there's nothing i yeah. can do and then she gets her second chance and it just feels a bit sort of like because doctor who as a series is not about horrible endings it's about 
you know, everything coming good in the end. Yeah. It seemed, it, it was like Russell T. Davis had painted himself into a corner and said, oh, how am I going to make but this then, come good? I like the way they explain it. It's with all the, well, the TARDIS must have a, a telepathic part of it that reads everybody's thoughts and saw that she wanted a second chance. Anyway, any half-assed listener could have realised she was begging for a second chance. You don't have to be telepathic to work that out. Mm, it seems like, to me that she... We don't know if she really was consciously sincere about wanting a second chance, but maybe deep, deep down, she really wanted it. We don't know. Well, but she I just... did want a second chance, didn't she? At least by name, she wanted a second mm, chance. Mm. What do you think, Laura? To be honest, during that final scene where she's communing with a TARDIS and it's all very sort of deep and meaningful and blah, 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 I was just looking at the gap between her lower teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not really too sure what was going on. <laughs> That bit was a bit the, where the actual kind of visual effect of her looking in the TARDIS is a bit strange. Where it just gets brighter and brighter until it kind of fades her out. And then the rubber suit falls to the floor <laughs> yes, and he finds an egg suit. in it. Yeah, yeah, and the egg is really weird. It looks like something... If somebody decided to make a, a sort of a Rastafarian egg... Because it's got these massive rubber dreadlocks on the top. It, it does look a bit like a potato you've left in a, in, in the uh, yeah in the you've cupboard let, for too yeah, long. Left yeah, in the cupboard for far too long, <laughs> and it's grown the uh, what are they called? Roots. Tubers. Oh, they've got special names. I tubers. Just yeah, roots. well, they are roots, but they're called tubers. Oh. So all in all, in all, then a bit of a mixed bag, a bit different. It's not really sure. It was fun. Yeah, it, it was a fun episode to watch. Yeah. Should we do two words to sum it up? Okay. Mine are very different, because it was a very different sort of episode. My two are moralising pratfalls. <laughs> can I have, can I have um, funny looking egg if I hyphenate funny and looking? Yeah. Okay, so I think that's probably about it for this week. Uh, so uh, you can find us all over the place on the internet. There's our website, which is uh, theoodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash theoodcast. You can find us on Twitter, some of us on Twitter. You can find Chris Sigma at at theoodcast, or one word. Um, me at at alpha ood and Loz at, is it the ood Loz? That's me, yes. There me. we go. Um, I've done three tweets now. <laughs> If you if you have iTunes, you can download us and subscribe to us on iTunes by typing in the Oodcast into the search thingy. Anyway, so for this week, um, I think this should be goodbye from Andy. Oh yeah, goodbye from me. Bye. Goodbye from Laura. Yin Mathawol. And goodbye from me. I think Chris I Alpha. said that in Welsh. Uh, and that's goodbye from me, Chris Alpha. Goodbye. Goodbye.
desperate You think of the smart ways to lie I'm not fooled I'm still going to take you to die Your family's gone Your life will be over And you've blown Your final cover Underneath your skin There's a slithing body The woman you chose Like a fat bill audience You'll get what you deserve For being Bad girl, honey, underneath your skin, there's a slithing body. The woman you chose, like a fat spill audience, you'll get what you deserve for being such a bad girl. Coming, we'll go.